The Bible reading can be found on page 1676. It is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you will be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the Father must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Look at all these microphones. It's like an international uh, teleconference or whatever. Thank you, Elaine. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Can you hear me? Right. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm getting an awful lot out of this gospel um, just recently. 
And uh, it's been good. I really like the fact that Matt has said, we'll do it in big chunks. And, and doing it in big chunks, you can sort of appreciate some of the bigger themes that are going on. So there's so much in this passage. But you're all right, your dinner won't burn. I'll, I'll just pick a few things. Um, I, and I'm, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm thinking that, that John wrote this in his latter years. He probably wrote this about 40 years after the other gospel writers. So he, he probably thought, you know, why did they put this in and why didn't they put that in? So it's, it's really intriguing to see what's in this passage and, and uh, in particular because this doesn't appear in the other gospels. So I had this sort of imagination, this picture of John going up to heaven after his very long life and looking up the other gospel writers and saying, you didn't tell them about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. But don't worry, I've written it down so that people coming after will know about it. So that's what this passage is about today. And it, it starts uh, uh, three chapters about the Holy Spirit that we see from Jesus. Um, clearly, that within the Bible, you've got other passages about this in Acts of the Apostles, we hear about the, the working of the Holy Spirit, and in the letters we hear about um, the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit. Now John's got some very personal insights. He's, he's a first-hand witness, as, as Sarah reminded us last week. He was part of the inner circle of disciples. He was one of the few that witnessed the transfiguration and the healing of Jairus' daughter. So that's why I like to home in on what, what John's got in his Gospels, because he's bringing out some of these points that the others perhaps didn't realise or, or had, uh, had picked up as, as evidence. And the other thing is, St. John the Evangelist is, after all, the, the saint that this church is dedicated to. So these are encouraging words that Jesus said to his disciples, as, as Sarah said last week about starting off by saying, don't worry, and that always makes you prick up your ears and, and think about what's going to come next. And he repeats that phrase again in verse 27 in this passage. So it's helpful to pause and think about the reassurance that Jesus was giving to us to alleviate theirs and our concerns. Now, Sarah pointed out last week that uh, we have the promise of heaven. He was going to go and get a place ready for us that's going to be much better than Herod's palace and probably one of the most opulent buildings at the time. But this week, we have also the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father's love and the gift of peace. And we certainly need that. So this promise of the Holy Spirit as I say, is a starter teaching about the Holy Spirit in chapters 14 to 16. And there's a, a little re revelation that the interesting thing is the word, the phrase Holy Spirit only occurs once in this particular passage. In fact, interestingly, that a trawl for the word spirit in all the other Gospels, you'll usually find it preceded by the word unclean. So, perhaps I do these other gospel writers a bit of a disservice, but they do make clear about the Holy Spirit's influence 
in Jesus' acts, particularly his birth and his baptism. So, let's uh, see what the, John says about this. Uh, one commentator I, I, I noted was encouraging people to say, we must know who the Sp Holy Spirit is, what he does, and how he does it. So that's what I hopefully will think that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. To set the scene about this uh, latter part of chapter 14, it's the final section of the Passover me meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And he'd been with these disciples for something like three years, and they'd come up from humble beginnings, humble occupations, their homes, they'd given up everything to join this new kingdom ministry. They'd seen miracles and heard some in inspiring sermons. But we see from the gospel, they often get things wrong. How are they going to get on without Jesus, the most inspirational leader of all history? And so these are the words that Jesus is encouraging them. And these are, like, these are the last few hours that he has with them. At the start of the Passover meal, we see Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And it wasn't long after that they'd been arguing about who is the greatest and that. But uh, we get, the, get to the end of the meal in verse 30, where Jesus said, come on, let us leave. Which suggests that the next few chapters, which are the continuation of Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit, is probably in his walk from where they had the Passover meal to the Garden of Gethsemane. These really are the final mo moments of what Jesus was going to do say to his disciples before he was arrested. So the feet are washed, the meal is ended, and intriguingly, John doesn't give as much detail about the Last Supper, apart from saying that he gives Judas that last piece of bread. So the teaching of the Holy Spirit, which he gave to the disciples, in the passage today, he starts off by wanting to reassure them, I will not leave you as orphans, he says in verse 18. He's going to the Father, but not abandoning them. But not only them, but us too. Because the Father sends the Holy Spirit, and we'll see about that in these chapters. Jesus said this, this is like within the next 24 hours, by the next day, the world and the Jewish authorities would think him dead and gone. But by Sunday, the disciples would know otherwise. Hallelujah. Now, as I said, the, the phrase Holy Spirit only occurs once in this passage in verse 26. In verse 17, he's described as the spirit of truth. But the word used twice in this passage, which the NIV translates as helper, or in the King James Version, comforter, is a Greek word which I'm sure many of you are aware of, is parakletos. Now there's been a lot of commentators discussing the interpretation of this word, and some translate it as advocate. And indeed, uh, outside the Bible, that word is used in a legal sense. 
And it's someone that normally is in an elevated position who takes on your side. But I would propose it's got a wider meaning because this advocate is one that comes alongside. It has a, if you split up the word, um, which is incidentally mentioned four times, uh, five times in the New Testament, four times in these three chapters, and the only other time is in John's first letter. The word literally means para, which is beside, and kletos, which is a calling. So it's someone that's called to be alongside. Some years ago, the Bible Society were working on a translation of John's Gospel into the Kare language, which is spoken in equatorial Africa. That is, uh, the countries of uh, the Central African Re Republic and parts of the Cameroon. When they reached this part, this chapter 14, they were looking for a local word to describe the paraclete. To their surprise and delight, they found a perfect equivalent. In their local culture, if one of a line of porters becomes exhausted from carrying his heavy load and another bends down to help him up, he is known in Carre as the one who falls down beside us. I think that's a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit. So let us see what we can learn from this passage about the Holy Spirit and more importantly, what it might mean to us. So starting at verse 15, I find this verse a real challenge, especially if we stop at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now I suggest that for your personal reflection, you might want to consider how much you love Jesus and whether commandment keeping is a measure of it. So in preparing this talk, I was getting excited. I thought, well, it's all about the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. But I, it was tempting to gloss over these verses. And I noticed that uh, it's also, this message is repeated in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is, he it is, who loves me. And then it's repeated again in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So I believe that if something is presented three times by God, it's a sure sign we should take notice. If we have love, keeping commandments and keeping his word, what would, what should hearken us about what God would do as part of his side of this bargain? And in this passage, we see four key points. First of all, verse 16, we receive the Holy Spirit forever. Secondly, we will be loved by the Father and Jesus. And that's mentioned twice in verses 21 and 23. Jesus will be manifested to us in verse 21. And the Father and the Son will set up home in us, verse 23. What blessings. In the old order before Christ, we see occasional glimpses of the Holy Spirit. 
at work within people. And these were very much time-bounded. King Saul had the gift removed. And as Ian mentioned earlier on, King David appealed in Psalm 51 not to have the spirit taken away from him. Yet we have had that gift promised to us eternally. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The relationship throughout history shows us in the, that the Holy Spirit came upon the people for a season in the Old Testament, was with the disciples in the person of Jesus, and in these latter days, the period of history since Acts chapter 2, he is in the people of God. I think the truth that impacted me most about this passage was not just the reassurance of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but the consequence that he is accessible and knowable. I like the words that Billy Graham used to describe it as, when we become Christians by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God himself takes up residence in us through his Holy Spirit. God does not want us to be saved by faith and then go and live a defeated, discouraged life. So to his wonderful gift of forgiveness, God adds the great gift of the Holy Spirit. Through him we have the power to obey his word and live a life of goodness and purity. This can only happen as we are filled with the Spirit, which means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, our lives are so yielded to God's will that the Holy Spirit is leading us. I thank God for Billy Graham. Now I'm not, I'm, I assume I'm not the only one that find it difficult to grasp the implications of a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. After all, the Bible makes it clear he's a person and not some nebulous, ethereal spectre. I guess uh, there's plenty of us here that remember growing up in the church over the years that uh, he was often called the Holy Ghost, which was always a potential uh, to be put off. But yet these verses in John suggest to me that the Holy Spirit wants to be known to us. If he has taken up residence, then it's only polite to get to know him. To me, the concept of taking up residence reminded me of the first chapter of this John's Gospel. In chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word there means tabernacled or he set up camp. Jesus, came, when he came as a man, he only set up this tent, a temporary residence. This was probably to make the Jewish readers be reminded of when God tabernacled among his people. The tent was filled with the glory of God, and it was a forerunner of the fixed temple in Jerusalem. So I'm heartened at this progression in scripture where God first visited the patriarchs, then dwelt in a tent alongside the, his chosen people. Then he sent his son to the, those people and his living word dwelt amongst them. But to invite, but then to invite them to 
give, give the Holy Spirit to us all and to receive, to become the children of God. And part of the family inheritance of children of God is now that the Holy Trinity would take up residence within us. This glory of God resides in our temple of our bodies. And what I'd not really noticed before is verse 23 states that God the Father and Jesus the Son will come and make their home with us too, not just the Holy Spirit. The physical temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, ending that age of Jewish salvation by constant sacrifice to be replaced by, by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. And the new temple of each one of us who love Jesus and keep his commands. The word used in the NIV as home is the same word as in verse 1 in this chapter. Which is sometimes translated as in my father's house, there are, in my father's mansion there are many rooms. So it's, it's a fine dwelling that we've got, not, uh, not a tab- tabernacle. And I, I was, uh, it, it led me to think about that uh, when the queen is in residence, a royal standard is raised. And as we have the Father, Son and Spirit in residence, shouldn't we raise our standard in more ways than one? So I'll leave you to consider how that might manifest itself in your lives. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm glad that Julie's not here today, but when we have people to stay, we often make a special effort to clean the house. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit as a permanent resident, he's not there to look around your temple to condemn you if you're not as clean and tidy as you think it ought to be. He's there to help you tidy it up too. Jesus was reassuring his disciples that they were not going to be left alone when he was gone. They wouldn't be orphans. They will receive the Holy Spirit. And although we never got to meet Jesus when he came as a man, like the disciples did, we did receive the Holy Spirit when we made a commitment to follow Jesus. One thing I find particularly refreshingly honest in John's account is the account of the questions that the disciples asked at various points. So in amongst this mind-blowing discourse, Jesus states that in return for our love for him, he will manifest himself to us. And we see the other Judas, who was son of James, or in Matthew he's called Thaddeus, he asks the question in verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I think that's quite an odd question to be asked. I know if I'd have been there, I'd have probably asked many other questions at this point. But we have the hindsight of Calvary to be able to decide what are the most interesting questions. But perhaps to understand where they were coming from, they were expecting, they've grown up over the years, they'd have been educated in synagogues, and they would have this expectation of a Messiah being a conquering king. So they were thinking, when are you going to show yourself to the world? 
because they, they were thinking they'd got an occupying army, the Roman army in their beloved city, the place where the temple was and where they assumed was the dwelling of God the Father. What they didn't realize that Jesus was about to conquer more than just what he did on the cross, but the whole spiritual realm, not just the physical. And we wait for the return of Jesus to do the full manifestation to the world. I think it's particularly poignant today to think about how we would feel when we would be in a country that was occupied by some hostile force. So let us look at a few other attributes of the Holy Spirit from this passage. In verse 26, we see the Holy Spirit as a great teacher. And unlike our school days, we won't need to stay up all night swatting about what we might say to those when we are prompted to speak up. And for those of you that are following the passion for life, that's the level two conversations that you might need to have. Because we will be reminded of Jesus' words by the Holy Spirit. And that's why John has got such a vivid account of the conversation. Because the Holy Spirit was able to make John recall this conversation verbatim. Which has blessed us and countless believers over the century. The message today is simple. Jesus tells us if we love him, we are given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And in the next few weeks, we will see more about the work of the Holy Spirit. To borrow the words of the ghost of Christmas present from Chris Dickens's Christmas Carol, let us take up the challenge from the paraclete to know me better, man. Let us pray. God the Father, we thank you for your love for us. God the Son, Jesus, we accept the peace you have left with us. God the Holy Spirit, please help us to get to know you. Help us to learn to trust and act upon your guidance in thought, word and deed. And help us to love Jesus and keep his commands. Holy Spirit, we worship you. Amen.